Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. Tanya Tucker recorded her first single in 1972 when she was 13 years old. It was called Delta Dawn. She cut it with Billy Sherrill, the veteran country music producer who had collaborated with George Jones and Tammy Wynette. Delta Dawn is a sad story song about a woman who was abandoned decades ago by her lover. It's not really a song for kids. And Tanya Tucker doesn't really sound like a kid on the record. We're going to play it in a bit. You'll hear what I mean. It was a country smash. There are dozens of versions of the song, from a copycat recording by the Australian country singer Helen Reddy, which hit even bigger than Tucker's version, to a cabaret rendition by Bette Midler. Waylon Jennings, Loretta Lynn, and Kitty Wells all cut it too. The song launched Tucker's career, a girl who sang far beyond her years. She's released about two dozen records since then. Her latest is While I'm Livin'. It's her first record of original material in over 15 years. It's produced by Brandy Carlisle and Shooter Jennings. It's a record informed by pain. Since her last album, Tanya lost both her parents and dealt with some health issues of her own. It's also beautiful. The lead single from the record, Bring My Flowers Now, is nominated for Song of the Year at this year's Grammy Awards. Let's take a listen. Bring my flowers now While I'm living I won't need your love When I'm gone Don't spend time Tears and money On my own Breathless body If your heart is in them flowers Bring them home All the miles Cast a long shadow I'd take a couple back If I could I'd have learned to play guitar Tell my daddy more I loved him But I believe For the most part I done good Tanya Tucker, welcome to Bullseye. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Hey, thanks, Jesse. Good to, good to talk to you. Can you tell me about where that song that we just heard came from? Yeah, I mean, I, I've had it in my back pocket for quite a few years, and, but just couldn't get it past the chorus. And uh, I walked up. Brandy asked me to come in and finish it on the last day of the sessions when we were in California and making this new record. And uh, went in the piano room, and I don't know, maybe 35, 40 minutes we finished it. And, uh, you know, it just went right to the vocal booth and recorded it. So what you hear on this record is just like it came out of my mouth. There was no, no uh, fixing anything. How did you feel working in that context where you were singing more or less as live? Well, I mean, it took me back to the days when I first started out with Billy Sherrill. You know, the first records I made, were we made pretty much like that with live. Everybody is... In the studio, you push the record button, and it's all on the same deal. And 
the only thing they did differently probably was the background vocals we did after I I got done singing. Then the but with Billy back uh, you know doing Delta Dawn and all the way up to um, Would You Lay With Me in a Field of Stone, all those songs were recorded with the vocals and the background vocals at the same time. Let's hear a little bit of Delta Dawn, which was your first hit. She's 41 and her daddy still calls her baby. All the folks around Brownsville say she's crazy. Cause she walks downtown with a suitcase in her hand. Looking for a mysterious dark-haired man. In her younger days they called her Delta Dawn. I mean, you're like 13 or 14 years old. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. you cut that record. I heard that when you were in the studio, not only were you singing it with the band and the backup singers as though it was live, you were just singing it with with monitors in front of you, like not even not even wearing headphones. Right. No, they, Billy never would let me have any headphones. <laughs> so it was a little... Uh, I've never seen them since. There were um, two monitors, one on each side of my head, uh, and kind of like... Uh, yeah, about two or three inches thick and very like uh, maybe a foot and a half tall square and uh, on each side of my head at the microphone uh, I haven't done it like that since and uh, at least this time I had some <laughs> I had a set of headphones <laughs> so we got we've come up in the world I mean that was my experience of hearing Delta Dawn which is one of my absolute favorite songs thank you is I had the album and, um, you know, I bought it at a used record store or something like that. And, you know, you look young on the cover of the record, but I, I wouldn't have guessed that you, you know, enough enough time had passed and hairstyles had uh, cycled enough that uh, and, and makeup styles had changed enough that, like, you could just as well have been 19 as, as uh, 13 or 14 on the cover of the record. And it absolutely blew my mind when I learned how young you were when you cut it. But I... I had that experience again watching uh, Bette Midler sing the song. In a younger day, they called her Delta Dawn. Prettiest woman you ever laid your eyes upon. But a man it was in her act. I saw her sing it on the Bette Midler show on YouTube. And I was like, this is... It's. I mean, it's literally the same song, but substantively in every way, completely. And I like Bette Midler, but I was like, "Whoa!" So did you did you hear something in that song that made you think that that would be a special song for you personally in a way that was very different from the way it was on the demo or or in the record that had been out? Well, I think, you know, being a kid at that time, I didn't really place any preconceived thoughts or, or, or even really think about it that much. You know, I just, I didn't know why I liked it. I just knew that I did. And uh, that carried on later when I saw that so many young people were attracted to this song, not even knowing what it was about. Something about the melody, the haunting melody, the, but the words. I mean, why would a youngster be so attracted to those mature words? I have no answer for that. I just think it was something that struck a chord with me, and I didn't really 
think about it too much at that time. You know, the song has something special about it, and I'm not sure you can really put words to what it is. I want to play another one of your early hits uh, that ended up on on your second album. And I think that uh, it's another one of my favorite songs ever. And it's another song that is that has a real intense, spooky edge to it that is made all the more unusual because you were, I guess, 14 or 15 years old when you were singing it. It's called, yeah, Blood Red Going Down. Let's, let's take a listen. We searched in every bar room and honky-tonk as well. And finally daddy found them, the Lord didn't know the rest is hard to tell. He sent me out to wait, but scared I looked back through the door. And daddy left them both. Soaking up the sawdust on the floor That Georgia sun was blood red going down That Georgia sun was blood red going It's an intense song for a yes. teenager to be singing. Curly Putman wrote that song, uh, who also wrote He Stopped Loving Her Today and many, oh, uh, you know, uh, Green Green Grass of Home. But to me, on that song, Jerry Kerrigan playing drums, there's a drum lick uh, riff on there that I've never been able to get anybody to copy it. It's just like certain kind of drum thing that I've never heard on any other record that he did. And it was just, uh, you know, like I say, I've heard these songs for, what, 48 years, you know. I guess for Delta Dawn, and it would be 47 for this one. But I, um, I loved the song, uh, and it was very intense. Uh, and maybe, you know, that was part of the um, mystery of it is because I was so young. And my dad told me, I mean, when I was a kid, he said, you got two problems. One, you're a girl, and the other one's you're a nine-year-old girl. So he said, you're going to have to sing these songs that you're singing with twice the feeling because no one's going to believe it. It's not believable coming from a, a nine-year-old kid. So, you know, he worked with me on that to try to em- emote w- what the song was and, and sort of a, a bit of an acting job, but singing instead of acting and acting it out in my vocal uh, performance. But, you know, I didn't think too much about all that at that time. I just sang it the best I knew how to sing it, and I guess it was convincing, you know. How is it different for you to sing those songs that you had recorded as a child as, uh, you know, when you were 30, 15 years later, or when you were 45. I I might sing them better now as far as vocal ability and quality, uh, but I don't think necessarily that they're better, you know. I might have, I might be singing them you know, better technically, but as far as a feel, there was no, there was no better way to do those songs, and that they, they couldn't, I, I've done them live since, there's no way to redo, recapture what those tracks and those songs, those records were in that time. It was just once in a lifetime thing, and I've had a lot of those, so I'm very lucky. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the singer Tanya Tucker. Her new record, While I'm Living, is her first collection of original music in over 15 years. Here's another song from it. It's called High Riding Heroes. Daylight or midnight, 
Red eyes and that old hat Whiskey bent and busted flat She's a credit to her flaws She's a bad risk but a good friend Small chains and loose ends She only regrets that she might have been A little faster on the draw Those old high-riding heroes They're anywhere the wind blows She's been to hell in Texas And she knows how it feels to be Riding that hot streak And drunk on some back street Falling off the wagon And under the wheels When you were a kid and a young teenager before you started recording for record labels, your dad won money in a keynote game to pay for you to make a demo, spent two days playing keynote straight to do it. Yeah. Did you know that was weird at the time? You know, I didn't even know it, really. I didn't even know he was doing it. Uh, he just came in about midnight when my mother and my, myself were at our little old trailer we lived in in, in uh, St. George, Utah, and said, Mother, Tanya, get up. We got to go. We're going to make some demo tapes. I just won some money. So we got in the car and went right to Las Vegas, and uh, he'd set it up where our, a guy named Cotton Harp was here, and I don't know how he met him, but he was a bass player, and he had a family, so we stayed with uh, with him and his family while we were, you know, just stayed here a couple days. Uh, went in and did six songs in about three hours. Uh, yeah, uh, that 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 wasn't normal. It, looking back on it, it it wasn't normal. But nothing was normal in my my early days, or it don't seem to be very normal now either. I mean, I've just <laughs> had a very abnormal life that is not a life that everyone could have would have been good for everyone uh, or anyone else really. It was just uh, singularly mine. <laughs> what else was not normal about your early days? Uh, just all kinds of things that, uh, you know, when uh, Jimmy Durante was playing the Arizona State Fair, he, we went up there and, from Wilcox at, in Phoenix, and I saw him uh, at the Coliseum getting a hot dog in the afternoon, and my dad said, there, go get him. So I went over and said to introduce myself and said, Mr. Durante, I'm Tanya Tucker, and I'm, I'm 11 years old, and I'm... I really, uh, really would like to get started as a singer, and really would like your advice on that. And he said, "Well, come back after the show. Let me hear you sing." So uh, we were watching the show, and it, Rex Allen was about to introduce him, and he said, "Ladies and gentlemen, we're sorry. We've had a, a, an accident. Mr. Durani was coming on stage tonight, and he fell, and uh, he's had to be. He's had, they've had to run him to the hospital, emergency room. So <clears throat> my dad doesn't stop there." I found myself in the hospital room at the hospital <laughs> with Jimmy Durante in bed uh, talking to his agent with had about 92 stitches across his face. He fell and cut his face open and they'd stitch his face up and he was talking to his agent and said, I can't believe they didn't do the show. You know, <laughs> the show must go on. And then he looks up and sees me and my dad there in the hospital room and put, hangs up the phone and, of course, you know, my dad's man. We're here, we're here to let you hear my daughter sing. So I did. I sang to him, and you know he loved it. But uh, I guess he did. He was very nice, very kind. And uh, but those things aren't normal, you know. And my dad was not a normal human being. Did your folks travel with you when you were uh, on the road as a teenager? Oh yeah, they were with me all the time. 
And then later on, my brother and my sister, we were all on the same bus, and it was kind of a family affair with the band. Um, and so we all rode on the bus, and it was tight, but uh, I'd drive, relief drive sometimes, even though I was didn't have my driver's license. <laughs> I would drive, and uh, you know we did what we had to do to get through it and get to the next show. What'd your brother and sister think of it? My brother drove. Oh, they, that was normal to them. It wasn't, you know, they'd already been through that. My brother especially. We all learned to drive at a very young age. I always think I was about four or five. Tanya, I'm not talking about what your brother and sister think about driving the bus. I'm th- talking about what your brother and sister think about being on the road <laughs> with a band. <laughs> oh, well, you know, it was just kind of a normal thing, you know. It's just like we're all in this family together, we're going to get through all this, and we're going to prevail and be, have success, and we'll all be successful together. Did you have a part of your life where that wasn't what you wanted? Oh, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> every other day. No, I say I'm quitting every other day. I, you know, I, I just get, you know, I, I get frustrated just like anybody does about their work or their job or their life. And then I really remember the next day, I remember how fortunate I am and, you know, count my blessings. And, and when I start counting, I, there's not a number big enough. So I just try to um, keep my head up and get through it because it doesn't get any easier. You just learn how to handle it a little better, I think. I think. I'm not sure sometimes if I handle it really at all. But I, I, every day is a, a challenge and uh, every audience is a challenge and... And every interview. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking with country singer Tanya Tucker. You know, I worked with my dad briefly when I was in my like early mid twenties, early twenties. Mm. And I love that can be complicated. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Tanya. I, look, I love my dad. Uh, he's a gr- he's a great man, um, and he uh, was a good dad. Uh, and God bless him for finding a way to get me some part-time work when that was what was standing between me and eating. But, Tanya, it was a disaster. <laughs> it was a disaster. Yeah, I would think so, especially <laughs> for a guy. You, know. you were you worked with you worked with your dad, and as you know, and as well as your mom, um, but especially your dad, who who was your manager his entire life, all the time for decades. Well, there were struggles, for sure. Believe me. Uh, I know, and I see those struggles, too, with my brother and my dad. That was a difficult situation. And, of course, my, my dad ended up really dis, disowning him and uh, didn't, didn't even consider him to be his son. And they went through a lot of problems. Um, I can't imagine being a son comparing himself to my dad. You know, that had to be hard. Uh, it was a lot easier being a girl. But I didn't mean, didn't mean I had it easier. It was, uh, in some ways, I guess it would have been. But, you know, I had my struggles, too, with him. I mean, uh, he was very, um, you know, let's do it my way or that's it, you know, the highway. So the, And then I did the highway. So, you know, there were times when I didn't listen to him, and I should have. And I'm, if I have any regrets, that's probably the one of the biggest ones, that I didn't listen to him at the right time. And I would have been more successful sooner. Um if I had to listen to him. and But now, I'm, I mean, he's been gone since 06, and I think I listen to him now more than ever, even though it's a little late, but uh, maybe not too late. What do you think of when you think of him? Like, if you, I don't know if you do this, but um, 
I know my mom is always telling me that she's that she talks to her mom who's been gone a long time. So when when you talk to your dad who's who's been gone for uh, more than a decade, what do you think about him telling you? Well, it might sound strange, but sometimes I hold I have a wallet that he had, still has seventy five bucks in it, and uh, I can kind of get hold that wallet and I can ask any question I want uh, and get an answer. I think somehow he is guiding me from above. I really do. I have no doubt, actually. So, but there were times when there was no guiding me. And I'm not sure now that I have three kids, I, I really understand <laughs> where he was coming from. And I, I apologize to him all the time saying, oh, my God, now I know why you, what you were doing and what you were trying to say, because uh, I talked to my, one of my daughters or my son, my, most, mostly my daughters, and they just don't get it, you know. And uh, I have the frustration that my dad had, and I see it so clearly. Uh, but I could not see it at that time. I see it now. Even more with Tanya Tucker still to come. After a quick break, she'll tell us about the time she met and rebuffed the advances of one Elvis Presley. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. NPR's Life Kit wants to help you make changes that actually stick this new year. From how to do dry January to how to start a creative habit, we've got new episodes all month to help you start the year off right. New episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Listen and subscribe to Life Kit. Friendly Fire is a podcast about war movies, but it's so much more than that. It's history. It was just supposed to be another assignment. It's comedy. Under no circumstances are you to engage the enemy. It's cinema studies. It's a hell of a combination. So subscribe and download Friendly Fire on your podcatcher of choice. Or at MaximumFun.org. And also come see us at San Francisco Sketchfest on January 16th. You can get tickets at sfsketchfest.com. accomplished. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking with Tanya Tucker. She's a veteran country singer. She had her first hit single in 1972 when she was 13 years old. She's got a new record. It's called While I'm Living. It's her first collection of original music in over 15 years. Here's another song from the album. This one is called The Day My Heart Goes Still. Yes, I know. Well, I know I will. I will. Love you till the day my heart goes still Until they put me in the ground up on some hill I don't think I'll ever get my fill I'm gonna love you till the day my heart goes still When I was younger there were two things that I imagined, and like I said, I haven't, I really don't know because I wasn't there, but I'm going to tell them to you in case they make sense to you or don't make sense to you, either way. Okay. One of them was, I was thinking, what an unusual situation it must be to be a teenager in a world of adults where you are, and I'm, you know, I'm talking about basically everybody in your life besides your siblings when you were a teenager. Right. And like constantly having to demonstrate that you belong there. When you certain, I mean, goodness knows you had the talent 
to belong there. I don't think that's a question, right? And you had the skills as a performer to belong there. I mean, you were an incredible singer when you were 13 years old. But you didn't have other equipment to belong there, I'm sure. You know right. what I mean? Like, right, right. You're still a 16-year-old or an 18-year-old or whatever. I really wanted just to be one of the boys. And in fact, that's one of the songs I wrote for this album that I've been holding on to for about 10 years that I've been working on. It's called One of the Boys. It's not hard for a girl like me to be one of the boys. And I really just wanted to be one of the boys. I mean, I wanted to be Elvis's buddy, you know. Uh, they had no visions of me uh, going into his bedroom or anything closer than that. I just wanted to be a friend that maybe I, I thought maybe he might need. And uh, it was hard to get through, especially to men, that I was a, uh, not a girl, and, I mean, I was just a girl, is all I'm saying. And uh, get past that to be friends. And, it, you know, sometimes I still have that little struggle, but it's not as big as it used to be. Um, uh, but that that was one of the things. But also just talking to musicians uh, that were older than me, that were much more experienced and much more knowledgeable about music than I was, was difficult for me to tell them what to do. And it, not that... I could tell them how to do it right. I just knew they weren't doing it right. And uh, that was a difficult problem for me. Very, very difficult. You know, I heard in you talking about Elvis just now, something that I, probably because I'm a, I'm a guy, had not thought about. So tell me if I'm misreading the situation. But I am guessing that one of the biggest problems when you were a young woman was in finding belonging or seeking belonging was not just that you were much younger than the people around you, you know, that you were a 13-year-old or a 17-year-old and you were around 25-year-olds or 35-year-olds, but that you were a woman in a situation where most of the people around, whether it was in the industry or your fellow artists, were men. You yes. Know, your band was probably almost all men and, you know, oh, yeah. and so on and so forth. And so, you know, when you are seeking regular friendship belonging, a lot of those men might have been seeking uh, something else. I mean, very true. I mean, that, that was, I mean, that was a, not a problem. I mean, it, it was definitely uh, a hiccup every now and then, you know. But, uh, you know, I just learned how to get through that. And it's hard to kind of... Uh, work through that and figure out how to handle those kinds of situations. My dad was very good about helping me with that. He gave me a lot of advice. Uh, you know, when I, when I walked out that night to meet Elvis Presley or to, do, to see his show because I could never afford to go, and, then, and even if I did, I, I wanted to meet him when he knew who I was, not just some random girl, you know. I wanted him to know me. And so I waited, and then... And then I got invited to see his show in Las Vegas, and me and my sister went. And on the way outside the door, my dad opened the door of the trailer house that I lived in in Henderson, and he said, listen here. He said, that boy can have any girl he wants in the world. He said, just let him know he can't have you. And I never forgot about that. And so later when, you know, Elvis asked me to come backstage, and I went back, and all of his cronies, where they were, they were kind of uh, getting a little nervous because he hadn't come out to say hello to me yet and uh you know i know the whole score now because that you know I, I, i've been there done that 
And, uh, they, you know, they couldn't give me a drink. I was underage, you know. I remember looking back, it was like, you want some peanuts? You want some M&Ms? How about some uh, cashews? You know, they they were just uh, having a Coca-Cola, you know. Uh, and I just said, I looked at my sister, I said, five minutes, we're out of here. I'm not waiting for him. And they got, and I think someone must have went back and told him because it wasn't five minutes and he popped out and, and talked to me. And then, of course, at the end, uh, after we talked a little while, he uh, he went to kiss me, and he went to kiss me on the lips. And so I gave him the old side cheek, you know. And I think that I saw the biggest smile I'd ever seen on his face. He he he, he got it, you know, he got it. And, and he thought it was pretty amazing, I think, at that age that I could act like that, you know. The last thing I wanted him to think of is I wanted him, for any other reason, you know, than to just be a buddy. What was it like for you as a lifelong picker of hit songs, a person who one of your great, you know, one of your great skills that I know you were very proud of was was choosing the right material for yourself, recording great songs, and you've recorded so many great, you know, country story songs yes. and, you know, songs that were not represent, direct representations of yourself and your story. Yeah. Well, I think I'm... To have... Go ahead. <laughs> to have two producers on this record come in and say, hey, we've written some songs. They're kind of about you. <laughs> and you don't get to pick them necessarily. Yeah. yeah. Well, ultimately, I had the decision whether to do them or not. And I had decided not to do them. I mean, several times they say, tell me. But I, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I talked to them. You, re- you don't remember, Tanya? No, I did, they said I, I, I did read a quote about you. I canceled it four times, but I don't yeah. remember that. Um, I just really, really have had an innate innate ability to pick great songs, and not just for me, but for other people. I have a really kind of a, uh, I don't know if it's a talent or what, but to be able to put a song with the right singer. And I've done it so many times uh, uh, that I know that I'm good at it. And um, this time I... I really didn't think these songs were going to be good enough. And uh, I've never been prouder to be wrong, but uh, I was wrong about that. And people have really uh, been attracted to this, this new album. And through all the kicking and screaming and digging my feet in and having me drag me to L.A., it's just, I'm just glad I did it. You know, it's like, whew, I'm glad I worked out for three hours, you know. I feel m- much better kind of like a smoking, you know, you quit smoking and you think you're always proud, pro, so proud of yourself, but what it took to get there is really t- difficult. And um, I went through a lot of, you know, doubts, doubts, doubts. That's all I had was doubts. You know, I, I always have a few doubts about anything, but this was over overwhelming. But I'm glad I did it. You know, it just shows me that uh, maybe I'm not an old dog. I, I'm, I'm learning new tricks, you know. <laughs> Well, Tanya, thank you, thank you so much for coming on Bullseye. It was a, it was a real dream to have you on the show. I really appreciate you taking this time. Thanks, Jesse. I'm, it was great talking to you. You're, I'd talk to you any day. It's easy. I mean, you, you make me think. So, I wouldn't say it's easy, but uh, <laughs> uh, definitely make me think. <laughs> well, I'll take what I can get. Thanks again. All right. Thank you a lot, Tanya Tucker. Her new album is called While I'm Living. Let's listen to one more song from it. It's called. Hard luck. I still remember the night I was born. My shoes were ragged and my jeans were torn. No time to worry about none of these things. 
My mouth was wide open, I just had to sing Hard luck, keep tucking I was born to a hard luck world Hard luck, keep tucking Lord knows I'm a hard luck girl Shows what you get when you got to be bad. Hard luck, I keep drinking. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is produced at MaximumFun.org World Headquarters, overlooking MacArthur Park in beautiful Los Angeles, California where just before the holidays, there was another park concert. Now, usually we get those park concerts during the summer concert series. Uh, This time it was a holiday show, a group of dads playing Christmas music and also one White Stripes cover. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Our production fellows are Jordan Cowling and Melissa Duenas. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Our thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for letting us use it. And we have decades of interviews that you can listen to from past episodes of Bullseye. Uh, They're all at our website, MaximumFun.org. You can also find them in other channels uh, like YouTube, uh, your favorite podcast app, so on and so forth. For example, you like country music? You like Tanya Tucker on this week's show? Why not listen to my interview with Dolly Parton from a couple years ago? That was a great one. Dolly Parton is exactly who you wish Dolly Parton would be. (laughs) She totally delivers full Dolly Parton. She's, man, she's just the greatest. Uh, And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.